0: Welcome back, my friends. I'm excited to be back here with you today with a really special guest. Denise Devenish is actually a relatively longtime friend of mine who has recently started consulting in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. And I asked her to come on and initially talk to my patient advocacy students about DEI in the healthcare space. And we decided to share this with the world. So here we are sharing her insights. I know that you will find them beneficial. I'm excited to share them with you. And without further ado, I will bring her on because she does a great job at introducing herself. Welcome my friend, Denise.
1: All right, I am super excited to bring back Denise. I've had Denise in a couple different ways uh, share with us, but today we're gonna talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, specifically in healthcare. So welcome back,
2: Denise. It is awesome to be back on your podcast and doing uh, talking about a completely different topic than we've talked about before. Actually, yes, not really, because we've kind of crossed into some of this what we're gonna talk about today.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely crosses over. And I think that it's important. Um, this was originally intended to be uh, just for my my peace advocacy collaborative for my patient advocates um, who learn from me and we kind, of, we kind of mastermind together every month. And then I told Denise, this would also be a really great topic to share with my podcast audience. So we're going to kind of repurpose this and uh, dual purpose this, but I think it's really important. But first, for those who don't know you, I want to make sure that we Give you the correct and accurate credentialing, and um, and we all know your authority. So I know you have a um, you know a really diverse background. Um, I think it was well. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go ahead and tell. I know you have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and lots of real life experience. So you you share with us what all of that okay. sounds like.
2: So to really get into the diversity part of it, first of all, I'm from Barbados, grew up in Barbados, came to the U.S. for school. I'm at the school here, University of Florida, bachelor's in behavior analysis and a master's in special education. Worked in many different areas, worked with individual disabilities, did protective services with child abuse. And currently I um, own a company that uh, teaches CPR and first aid and uh, also does safety training for parents and environmental fall prevention checks for the elderly and people with physical disabilities. Started a uh, new company this year called Devanish Consulting Group. And with that, I am doing diversity, equity, inclusion training. So this is kind of more where we're going. So with this came about a lot because of what happened back in 2020, which was when you first interviewed me for the first podcast. I've talked about a lot of racial things that for my personal life and things that I've gone through and seen and, and been a part of, but what I wanted to focus on, what I wanted to even bring more forward is that the other, the other areas of diversity, equity, inclusion, which is not just race, but race, gender expression, socioeconomic issues, how we, how we look at people differently based on what we think. And more specifically, are unconscious biases. So which is even when I do these trainings through discussion, I am I've become aware of unconscious biases that I that I have. Every single train I've done, I've become aware of another unconscious bias that I've had. So what I try to get with when I do the DI trainings is just to get people to stop, listen, think, be able to recognize what other people go through, including their friends, not just strangers, but including their friends, and then see how they can better make their environment. When I And when I say environment, I mean like your friend group, your family, your community, instead of only just focusing on world affairs, just focus on what you can actually help with and help and, and just how you perceive stuff. Mm-hmm. So based on, like I said, I am from Barbados. I'm mixed race. I am a gay woman and all of these things, and I'm a woman, all of these things throughout life in my 50 years, I have had varying forms of discrimination to my with myself and also seeing it. So that is kind of the synopsis of of where i come from with respect to this training on yes. this topic
1: i think it's perfect because it gives real life experience um, and then what you've seen in your professional world and and helps us tie all of that in together to what we can do better and specifically in the healthcare environment which is most of what this audience is going to be interested in so you, let's just go ahead and just jump right off into where you've already mentioned, which is the unconscious biases that many of us um, are unconscious about. Um, maybe talk a little bit about. Let's dive a little bit further into what you've noticed for yourself, but what you may have also noticed of others, and um, that may, you know, venture out a little bit further outside of healthcare, but but also just you know, so we can start to identify what those might look like because the fact that they're. Unconscious means a lot of us are holding biases that we don't realize, and um, and that may be affecting our clients or affecting how we interact with others.
2: Yeah, so I'll kind of try to I'll try to make it specific to healthcare. One of the big ones with unconscious biases that I've been affected by is being a female and having doctors not take you serious and especially when it came to pain and having to insist that no this something is going on and this was with female doctors so it wasn't like it was just a, it was a male doctor this was a female doctor that another doctor who was my my um so it was my surgeon and her her nursing staff that didn't believe that something was wrong with me they, they, when i was like i am in a lot of pain something is wrong my doctor my primary care doctor who has known had known me for like 20 years, had to call them to say, no, if she's saying this, you gotta believe her. That should not have been necessary. You know, and I've heard many times from you know, many women that where they're not regarded the same, like they, they, they're considered like, oh, women complain, not recognizing that women put up with so much pain. But if a woman says she's in pain, is like extra. Right, right. <laughs> It's like extra, extra pain. So that is one of the areas where I think for medical, for people in the medical profession, that they have an unconscious bias when it comes to gender. Um, So that then going to, well, I'll kind of go to generalize it to appearances. So for example, if someone, you're speaking to someone who is dressed, like t-shirt, shorts, baseball cap that comes in, like say, I'll, I'll use you, Claudia. Somebody calls, somebody reaches out, e- emails you and reaches out and they're looking for a, a patient advocate. And you're like, okay, they're, they're not in, in Florida. So it's a Zoom call. Person comes on and they're dressed a certain way. They, you know, they're dressed very casual, like very, very casual. A lot of us assume that, well, this person probably can't afford me because, you know, if it's like a 10 o'clock meeting, they should be dressed for work because we assume all work hours are eight to five person should be dressed professionally or dressed a certain way for my meeting. So you'll get sometimes where that person then is like not taken. They would say not even taken seriously because you know, they have a serious issue, but not taking seriously that when you tell them what you're, what, what it costs that you they'll be like, well, okay. I didn't realize it was this much, mm-hmm. you know, not recognizing that that person could be the president of their business. And they took the day off because they knew they were meeting with you and this is how they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's, and you'll see that, like I, I can bring up a, like for myself walking in a, in a store here in Gainesville. And this happened. This has happened to me. I walked in, t-shirt shorts, flip flops, and I had a bag, because I'd gone to another store. I walked in with another friend, a white friend. We split up, because we were getting stuff. I, get, I was followed, and I was aware of it, because every time I turned, this person was behind me, like a few steps. So finally, I stopped, and I was like, what are you doing? And the person was like, uh, uh, like they're, they were shocked, and I was like, why are you following me? Couldn't answer me because they knew they were following me. And my friend and I walked in at the same time. She also had a bag. She was not followed. I am pretty sure if I was dressed professionally, I would not have been followed. Mm -hmm. You know, so just something like that. So just even, and it doesn't mean that that store told that staff person to follow this stereotype. It could be that that person just looked at how I was dressed and assumed, Mm -hmm. oh, she might be taking something. Right. Right. And it
1: translates into so many things. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking about all of the, the personal everyday social dynamics, but also specifically in healthcare, what often happens in just like a primary care setting is You know, if somebody comes in, maybe a person of color, maybe whatever it is, and the bias is, well, this person maybe maybe isn't educated enough to understand what I'm going to say, probably isn't going to follow my instructions, isn't going to be able to afford the medication that I'm going to prescribe. And so although these aren't conscious thoughts necessarily, it is underlying what's going to ultimately be the treatment plan for that patient, which is probably going to look ultimately a little bit different, then it's going to look for that person's counterpart who maybe doesn't look like that. And, right. um, and I don't, and I do think it's important to realize this because I, like I said, I don't think that physicians and other providers are actively thinking no this, but it, it just is the reality that this person is going to be thought of as somebody who may not understand, may not be able to afford them at, you know, whatever treatment plan. And so it's going to be altered a little bit without them necessarily asking them, you know, like if we proceed with this, what kind of insurance, like, let's look at your insurance. It's going to be a relative assumption and, um, is going to change things. And, and yeah, so it's, it's sort of pervasive, but it's, it's like so pervasive that, and it, and it gets into even the training because as new physicians, and other providers start up. They kind of watch the interactions of their attendings, mm-hmm. and they end up becoming sort of like trained in that way. So, um, it's it's important that we start to shift that paradigm and and call it out for what it is. And in that way, uh, maybe we can transition into, you know, some of your advice as as advocates. We we may be either in the room or on a speaker phone call with a client who who may be experiencing something like this. We might hear it or we might see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the advocate, we're already in a position of um, trying not to get, you know, try not to become an obstacle or be in the way, but be helpful. And so we may be hesitant <laughs> to speak up about what we see or hear um, and not necessarily know how to navigate that specific situation. And so what are your some of your thoughts on, ways that we can take right action. Yeah.
2: So like what you just described, if you're in a meeting, I know you've had many of them where you like were phone call into like meetings with doctors and stuff and, and, and your client is there and you recognize, you recognize certain things happening. I would have a notepad and paper and jot down as things happen, jot it down so that when you're ready to talk, then you can address all of this stuff. Because it's hard to interrupt at each each time. So like then it just gives you like, okay, you've jotted down four things that you saw happen or you heard happen. And then then you go through them one by one by one, including your medical, your your patient advocate stuff. But you know, it's not is an indirect call out of these of these people and these things that are happening, but in a very professional way. And it's a very subtle way, but but what it does is that everyone else in that room is well aware when you when you raise that consciousness of this just happened that this was said that oh my god that is that was said oh my god I say that or I do that so just that lit just and you know for your client a lot of times for your client they're going to obviously they're you're with they're with you because they're going through some crisis so. Being ignored or beaten down on an, in another direction—they're not even focusing on because they're in "I need to get better" mode mm-hmm. or "I need help" mode. But you're—you're you're not going through the physical stuff. You're like the outside observer who's giving, who's offering help and giving and you know—direction. So you'll see it even before they have. And sometimes it's happened so much that they're just so accustomed to it. Mm-hmm that they're not even aware or they think that this is what happened. This is the norm,
1: right? No, that's absolutely true. That (laughs) has happened many times when a client might be telling me, even as I'm starting up with them. So I haven't actually seen or heard any interactions from a first person standpoint, but they've, they're just telling me what's happened in the past and they're saying, well, this happens. And and then my doctor said this, and I'm like, wait, Um, you know, has that, does that happen a lot? Is that how this doctor normally interacts with you? And they do, you're right. They do start to like, that's just how I'm treated in the healthcare system. And, and it's not, they're saying it very matter matter of factly, not in a concerned way or in a way that they think that they can make any difference or change it. But in like, this is just how it is for me. And I'm, and I often will say, okay, well, that's a red flag. We're going to note that. And when we're done, you know, sort of evaluating everything, we may get to a point where we need to to reestablish our medical team because we can't accept that, nor do we have to, but they often don't even realize they have the right to not accept it or that anybody else is going to be any different. Or like you said, that anything even went wrong because they're so used to it that they don't even know that it went wrong. So I like the idea of just kind of taking notes of, you know, what has happened in this interaction that didn't feel right or appropriate. um, And then not necessarily in a confrontational way, but in a, in right. just a very like matter of fact, you know, these things, mm-hmm. these things are just not an appropriate way to interact in this kind of a setting or any setting for that matter. Um, and then also, and also it empowers the, the patient to know that, Oh, like I can speak up for myself. That's a thing. Okay. Um, and, and ultimately that's our goal as advocates is to get to a point where, you know, hold their hand until they can start to fly on their own. So
2: um, I mean, literally you're the name advocate <laughs> that's, right. you know, so that's, and, and even though it's more like medical in order for the medical to be, to be complete and be good, you need all, you need the person to be respected. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes down to it, that is what the whole thing is, is that that person that, that your client is not fully respected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you're not fully respected, you're not fully heard. Right for sure. Um
1: let's talk a little bit about um sort of topics that have come up more recently which is pronouns. So okay. um I you know, I think that for some of us who who haven't had a lot of experience with this, we don't really know how how to navigate it. And and we can't just close our eyes or ears to it because it is a real um it is a real thing and we have to honor and respect our clients wishes and we don't always know how to do that, especially when it's something that's sort of new. Um, it's kind of like learning new technology, and we're learning we're mm-hmm. learning new social dynamics. And um, I kind of feel like you know my dad at sixty trying to learn an iPhone like this is a this is a new thing. Um, and but I don't think of it as something new that's going to go away. I think if it's something something new that we need to we need to embrace and understand and 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 know how to navigate. So yeah, and respect. So so tell us a little bit about your thoughts on. Um, sort of the, some of the pronouns shifts and paradigm shift that we've, we've seen so recently
2: with a lot of recently and it's probably the past year that is more you see it more pronounced is people are non-binary so they're not identifying as male or female he or she but they they're using the pronoun they so what you're what you're finding is two problems that a lot of older people have number one they're like well they have this person has to be he or she and then the other problem that a lot of older people have is they is plural so it they're like well i can't i don't understand how you a one person could be a they and my whole thing to this is stop trying to understand respect it so if that person if i tell you today i i prefer to be my my pronoun of preference is they two weeks from now you and I are talking, and I say to you, Well, Claudia, my pronoun of preference is she is you go, okay. Even though I change from they today to she two weeks from now. We get so caught up in trying to figure out the why to this and the why to that. It's like, you know, when when um, people were were more coming out, everybody's trying to figure out why well, how can you like somebody of the same sex? Like, I don't understand. And this is for somebody who was, who was straight. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. And then finally it hit. I am not going to understand mm-hmm. because I don't feel that way. You know, and that is okay. is the same way who somebody's gay is like, well, I don't understand how you could like someone of the opposite <laughs> sex. They could say that too, but they don't even say that because they don't care. Because... That's not that that is not something that they're worried about. Like what you do, and that's and that's we we've, we've got into like what we're familiar with. We are like, okay, this is our box and this is where everything is. So if sometimes something is outside of our box that we construct, then we're like, well, that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Or I don't understand. Like I, I gotta understand. And you don't have to understand, you have to respect. Like, yes you know and if we just focus on respecting we don't have to worry but we try to understand and and you know i've just one of my friends was just telling me about one of their friends who is female with a boyfriend but identifies as they never been gay and my friend was like, you know, I was confused for like a day. And then I was like, I'm never going to figure this out. So, Oh, well, I like them. And I like, I like them and that's good. That's all I, and I was like, there you go. That's all you got to do. Yeah.
1: I think that it's just a really good point that we don't have to, uh, there's so much in the world we don't understand. So to be able to just open the door to this being one more thing, we don't necessarily, I think because it, It's like, it feels like grammar, right? Like in grammar school, it's very like, Mm -hmm. it's this way. And so we go through grammar school and we edit papers. And so all of our lives, you know, we spent, you know, 40, 50, whatever amount of years doing something one way. And to make that be a change from something that was, was a schooling, (laughs) it was an education. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like we just, you know, it was an opinion. It was like, this is the way it is. And it has always been. And so so it really requires an open mind to say i don't have to understand that that's what you wish to be called i'm just going to respect that and then i'm also going to ask for some grace that i might sometimes mess it up
2: because exactly. i've spent i was going to say years, that yeah
1: <laughs> like i've yeah. spent 40 years thinking pronouns were in a specific singular plural way and so i'm i'm probably
2: going to screw it up but just know it's not intentional and right. I'm, I'm, and when you do you say, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And you just keep going. You don't stay on it. Like, Oh my gosh, like I, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. And I've like, you just say, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And then you continue what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, cause people understand it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just like, say you're married, you got divorced and you change your name back to your maiden name. But for 25 years, people know, knew you as your, your married name. Well, then you're back to your maiden name, they're gonna still call you mm-hmm. by your married name till they get accustomed to it. And, and they'll we'll give them gonna grace while they do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. You, you're not gonna be like, how dare you? You know, you still you'll still be like, oh, don't forget, name change. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept. And we don't we don't get flustered by that. Right, right you know, like, but it's just, is I, the grammar thing is where I think uh, that it is just, is hard for people. Like, is like, if it was a, a made up word, right. That was never used before. And it, and that, I, I think for a lot of people, it would be like, okay, but then you get the grammar. Right. And it's like, no, but that's, that's plural. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Right. We can do hard things. And this is not even really
1: that hard. It's really just a matter of, like you said, breaking down walls to a box that we've built over the years and and teachers have helped us build it and parents Mm -hmm. and mentors. And this is just, we're learning rules to a society and now unlearning them and relearning them in a different way. And it shouldn't be looked at any differently than us learning any other thing or relearning it or unlearning it. And, um, And it doesn't need to become a confrontation. It's not even a reasonable, yeah, it's not even a reasonable thing to confront about. Um, And it doesn't require that. And it shouldn't be a hindrance or an obstacle in providing any kind of service, including healthcare. So um, yeah, some really good points. Fernanda, I know that you're um, on here and I want to give you the opportunity if you wanted to either um, include any insights or... Or say anything or ask anything. I didn't want to miss the opportunity for you to do that if you wanted to.
3: Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I had to echo, I sent it in the like our group chat. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is so important. Because um, De- Denise, I don't like, so I have a Spanish background. So I'm from South America. And it is, there are like plenty of studies that people who don't speak English as their like primary language don't get the same adequate care that, you know, native English speakers get. Um, so we constantly see this in healthcare all the time, not only with people who don't speak English as a primary language, but just like as you were mentioning, like, just from how you're dressed or how you speak, or <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, even myself, I'll find myself and I try to catch myself, and I'm like, oh, why did I have that assumption? Um, oh, really? Sometimes there's even like disease specific diagnoses that I, in my head, I'm like, oh, they're going to be whiny or they're going to have XYZ. <laughs> and then I'm always like, recheck. This is a new person. This is, you know. Um, so it is so predominant in healthcare. So I love that you're doing this. Um, because it's so important. I just want to know how to how to
2: fix it. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's there's the fixing is as it happens and you recognize it, that recognition occurs. That's 50% of your fix. That's probably 75% of your fix is the recognition. And then as you do it again or whatever, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I just did it again. And the more you're aware of it, then the less you'll do it. You know, yeah. so it's just, it, it is, and as of all of us, there's any behavior that we're accustomed doing, you know, then we, we got to like untrain our mind on our thought processing from like, this is like, what we do, or this is this is the thing to, you know, this is how we react in this. And in medical world, you guys are always told da, this happens, you're always you know, you ABCD occurs, then you do E, you know, you're always told that but you you then get into this you I it and I know it happens where it's like a, a minus and a B plus and a, a almost D but so then you just put it as A B C D because you're like well let me just make it this because then I know what to do with that like I know this is what we do and and in in cases like that you're because you've like generalized stuff or stereotyped or whatever it is you could have missed something in that person. Now, what you're talking about with um Spanish speaking, I don't know how many times I've been places where the person is speaking a different language and no one can understand them. And, and I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to be good. And you can see the how frantic that person is, and they're trying to get across something, or with people who are hearing impaired and there's no yes. interpreter. Right. And they're con- and 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 like what you'll see happening too is that that person is then looked upon as being aggressive and angry, but it's just is because of the communication lapse, the frantic happens and they're like trying so hard and depending on where you are culturally, you're going to be using your hands and the more angry, the more frustrated you get, I don't to use the word angry, the more your hand use comes and then it looks like, oh, this person is kind of getting aggressive when all of it is a communication lapse. And I, I could only imagine, I mean, and both of you would know in, in healthcare, how many people are not, are not diagnosed correctly because they can't describe their symptoms because of a language issue.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And how much is missed and everything. Oh, yeah. So yeah, It's dev- I, I mean, it's, it really is impactful. Um, you know, every, I mean, even just care in general, um, how many things are missed because maybe we, you know, we know your chronic pain or you have, you know, uh, ulcerative colitis or what are all these things. And we automatically are like, okay, they're going to need a lot of pain medicine or they're. And then we, on the reverse side, we don't want to enable things. So we kind t- of, we're like, oh, we're going to be more stingy unintentionally. Um, right. you know, so yeah, it's very, um, I guess that mindfulness really is going to be a big key factor of like re reminding like catching yourself and then trying to correct it
2: yeah and you know this is also where when you work for a bigger company and especially in the medical field you have 50 million patients coming so mindfulness isn't even a thought process it is next because like you're you're into the next so it is so much even harder and i think that's why like with with being a patient advocate when you're with that patient, you are with that patient. When you're in a meeting with that patient and other providers, you're you are there for that patient. So of all the people in the room, you're the one person that is completely for them. You're not thinking about, I have another meeting, or I got other patients coming in in, in like 15 minutes. I got to be gone. But you're not in that process. So you're focused on that person, hence why... Like what we talked about earlier, you can catch these things that are happening where they may not be heard speaking of their symptoms or, or just like, you know, reading all the reports from all the different doctors, because one doctor might not have read all the reports and you're, you're like aware of that. Your patient might not be even be aware of it. So that's where I think with being a patient advocate and your focus is on that person when you're with them is so different than when there is a because, you know, I'm at, I go to a doctor's appointment, you would think the doctor's focus is on me. And yes, but that doctor is also thinking of their next appointment. Because mm-hmm. they also know they only have so much time with me. Because, you know, every 15 minutes, there is an And especially if you're in the bigger companies, the bigger medical system.
1: Yeah, so it definitely becomes a lot more difficult to be mindful in. Yeah. The chaos and hustle of a, of a traditional system which um both fernanda and i can can definitely speak to <laughs> um, and yeah and fernanda brought up some good points and you know this this goes the biases go go so deep into so many levels um you know beyond race and beyond gender and beyond like it goes into even just like fernanda said it goes into an identifier such as a diagnosis or okay you're on this certain med I, and I actually teach a lot of my clients this when they come to me and I see their list of meds. I'm like, okay, let's go through this. I'm going to let you know right now that because you're on X, Y, Z, when you go to your physicians, there is an immediate bias. I want you to know what they're, what they're thinking, even though they may not even realize they're thinking what they're thinking because you're on X, Y, because you're on SOMA or whatever it is. This is what they're thinking. This is going to be a difficult patient. They're drug seeking They're And, and we are working actively against those biases. Like you just need to know that. And, um, so yeah, there, there's so many levels to this, um, well beyond just what the person might look like, but how are they labeled? How are they labeled in the medical system? What are they taking? What's their diagnosis? And then there's so, uh, so many assumptions and we're working against those and the, and the patients don't know, that they're working against those. They don't even realize no, it because they were prescribed that and a lot of the times they, people tell me I never wanted this, but I was prescribed it. And now, now I can't get off of it or now like nothing else works. And, and now every physician is like, I don't want to deal with you. So it's really a very sad, um, sad situation, but, um, you know, and I also want to point out that, that it can often sometimes go the other way too. Like, I, I mean, you know, throughout medical school, my husband's medical training, um, there were definitely times when, um, like patients would wake up after surgery with one of his colleagues who was also Asian and would like, you know, say something about like, I don't want the Chinaman to help me or you know whatever. And, and so mm-hmm. it can go both ways. So this isn't, you know, and I always like to, as an advocate, advocate for both sides. And the reality is is there are there can be issues on both sides, but we really want to Im- impact what we are in our power to impact. Um, but I would also like to talk Denise and we talked a little bit about before we recorded earlier today about um how how people might see us when they're looking for an advocate. And maybe if um you know our our advocacy group is primarily of a white skin color, um, really they may not, they that, yeah. may not feel comfortable coming to us or feel like we're going to be able to connect with their story or their journey. Um, and on the flip side, if there is, you know, a, a, brown skin, black skinned, um, advocate and a, and a white person might be looking for an advocate, maybe, maybe they don't feel like that's a good fit. And so how does that sort of interplay
2: work? Um, in, so in- say, and we talked about this earlier where you even, when I brought it up, you were like, yeah, most of, most of the advocates that I've worked with and talked to are, are white or, and, you know, someone of a darker complexion is, you're like, you want someone who, the first thing you're thinking of, okay, I'm in crisis. So depending on how bad the crisis is, is where you think more about other stuff. Because if I'm in major crisis, I don't care who or what it is. Like, I need help. But if I am like, not in a medical crisis, especially if it's not a pain crisis, where I, I'm processing, I'm like, I'm the first time I'm thinking, I'm not, and this is me not knowing you, Claudia, I am like, I'm going to be like, well, I really would, it would be nice to have somebody of my skin color, just because of the trust thing, because then I'm thinking, well, are you really going to listen to me? Are you going to respect me as an equal? Or are you going to look down on me? And the reason I think that I wouldn't think that in Barbados, but I think that in the U.S. because of how I've been treated. So that's the first thing. Now, if for for advocates that are black or a darker skin color, they're probably not going to get some some um, clients based on the person's like I'm not working with somebody who's black, and it's going to happen. It's happened with me in my with. with with my CPR stuff. And I, they don't explicitly say that, but you pick it up, you know? So, and then it happens, it happens. It's just nothing you can do about it. You just go, Oh, well, mm-hmm. good. They were not for me. Now, the other thing I want to talk about too is, well, let's go back to Claudia. That if I if am coming to you and I don't know you, how, when I meet you, how you, how you work on getting me comfortable with you being yourself, when people going to oh my gosh I have to try, then it's fake, and I will pick it up immediately. So you just be authentic, and I will get your vibe. Whether if your authenticity will come out or it won't, that vibe like okay I feel comfortable with this person, and I'm like cool. I'm gonna I will work with you, but if I don't feel comfortable with them, I won't. So I get you know I've, I've had a lot of discussions with friends who are white and they're like well I want to try harder I'm like no don't try harder because then it's fake just be you if you're a good person and and you might be the best person and the person still doesn't want to work with you because they still prefer somebody of culturally like them that's okay too you know so like it's not like you lost a patient or lost a client because oh my god I lost this client because I was white you know, you lost a client because, or, or you didn't get the client. I don't even want to use the word loss. You didn't get the client because the person's preference was working with someone that was like them, because that's where they trust. It's just the same as there are a lot of, I have a lot of female friends that will not use a male gynecologist. And I get that, you know, I had a male, my first doctor in Gainesville was male and I remember when I was first had I was supposed to get a breast exam and a pap spare from him and this was 28 years ago when he was done my breast exam I'm like I'm done and I never went back to him I was so uncomfortable and I was like nope no more male doctors Mm -hmm. you know and you know so I get it when people have that preference and that's okay too
1: right yeah you know It makes me think of, you know, like even some basic services that are just respectful of that, like massage, you know, massage therapists will Mm -hmm. often, if there's a group will often ask, you know, what, what gender do you prefer? And, and it's totally accepted there. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be naked. So mostly naked. So I, I, yeah, I, it's nice to be able to have the choice and not to look at it in any other way other than it's just my preference. I feel more comfortable with this Mm -hmm. gender and, um, And yeah, I completely get the OB-GYN situation and any, any doctor, honestly, a lot of people just want to just feel more comfortable with a specific, you know, with a specific person. And so, yeah, it makes me think of as an advocate, what I can do better to a lot of people will go to our websites and try to get to know us as much as possible through there before they decide to reach out. And I feel like my, um, communication, even on my website could be a little bit more, um, approach it in a little bit more inclusive way where, where Mm -hmm. it's, where I'm making it known that anybody's welcome. And I don't know that I've been very intentional about that. So just kind of thinking, you know, somebody's, it may, somebody may not even call me to give me that chance because they don't feel that they don't feel that message. And my, in my messaging and in my content on my website. So, um, so yeah. And, and, and then just the reminder, I think it's important just to, just to be ourselves and not to over, overcompensate, like, oh, okay, here's, here's the client who may be feeling this way. Let me make sure that they know, like, just be yourself and treat them like anybody, like anybody. And it's the treating different again, like here we are doing something different again, because we're overcompensating. And that's not the goal. The goal is to be like, no, I'm, you know, equal across the board, which is the part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So
2: So one thing to that, which we had kind of brushed on earlier, and we, we had talked, um, that I want to bring up is if you're working with a client who is like racist or homophobic and says stuff outwardly to you, not knowing, you know, like for you, who you're married to, like, you know, not, not knowing a bunch of things. And How you react to that because there is always the okay, this is this is a job. This, you know, I get this is I get paid for this and I need to get paid in order to live. I need to, you know, this is work. And then there is also the this is a line that you crossed and I can, I no longer want to work with you. And then there's the in between of the two of where you're like, okay, I will let you know that I don't agree with what you said or how you're acting. However, I will, I will just let you know. Not rudely, not in a confrontational way, but I will let you know, look, I am not comfortable with that. Or what you just said is whatever it was that they said, you'd let them, you just tell them, this is how I feel about it. Because, and I think it's important that you let people know when they say things that you recognize that are like hateful, and just and not in a in an argumentative way, because one, you're letting them know that I don't feel this way. So, because your silence is giving them that check mark, like, cool, you agree with me. But also, number two, it makes them have to think and look at themselves. Mm-hmm. And yes, a lot of people, they're they're never gonna change, but you have those other people that will that actually might be like, oh. Unless and and start to think like, is that what I'm saying. Oh my gosh, did I, I do this, or this is what I believe, you know? And and you you hope that's the case, but that will not always be the case. But what you're doing is standing up for your integrity. You're standing up for yourself and your ethical and moral self. And so I think that is also important. However, I do know that there's some sometimes it takes a lot for a person to. Be opposite to say that something opposite to someone, especially someone they're working with or to a boss or even a family member, it takes a lot. So, it, you know, you may be, you may have a patient advocate who is a new patient advocate. So, they're really new at this and they're still like kind of shy. You know, they're still kind of like, okay, like I got to, like they're stepping soft and something happens, person says something and they're like, you know, and then they go home like, oh my God, this is like, I don't know what to do. And it's okay to go home and process through it. Like, you know, cause it, it doesn't, this like being able to say something or to, I, I don't to use the word confront, but just to call out a person in a very gentle way takes a lot. It takes a lot of self-confidence in order to do that. So, you know, like for your patient advocates that watch it if they're like, if they've had situations where some and I think that's for most of us we've been in situations where people have said something or done something and we're like, oh my God, like inside you're like, I don't wanna be here. And you don't say anything and you, but then the next, because you've gone home and you kind of process it through, your next time you're like, if this ever happens again, okay, I now know what I'm gonna do. That is okay. Like don't beat yourself up because you didn't do something the first time or, you know, or whatever. Like just recognize that that that's, that's how we all grow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and specifically in the advocacy world our willingness and ability to to stand up for for being respected is a way for us to model advocacy in general like I'm going to stand up in a non-confrontational non-aggressive way that mm-hmm. this this was not appropriate to me and it didn't feel right to me and in doing so gives the message that you're allowed to say the same thing if this happens to you, whether it's in a healthcare environment or otherwise. And so I do think that we're always modeling behavior that we're trying to teach and encourage our clients to use also. So, and if we don't, if we, if we hold back, then that becomes more of the habit and we become, we begin to model, even maybe we don't consciously realize it, but we're modeling not speaking up and that's not, that's not what we're trying to do. So, right.
3: Um,
1: all right, as we wrap up, I know we've, we've been talking, we could probably talk forever because it is a really, uh, good, relevant topic. Uh, Fernanda, I wanted to give you uh, one more chance before we just wrap up. If there's anything else you wanted to say.
3: Um, I really appreciated too, Claudia, the comment that you made that with the clients that sometimes you let them know already, like beforehand, Hey, this is what you're up against, whether it be like, Oh, because you're on these meds or this in your background. Um, so that was actually, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to use this. Um, because even just that disclosure of, Hey, we're not intentionally doing these things, but because it's in your chart, you are taking whatever suboxone or whatever we autumn as providers were honed in on, knowing and already kind of seeing that, like, okay, these are the tendencies that go with that. Um, So I loved that. Um, And everything's been super uh, helpful in helping me, you know, bring forth, like, Being mindful in these actions and then kind of how to do it because I am not confrontational at all. And I'm always like, Oh, what do I do? And then I'm heavy after being like, I can't believe this just happened. And I didn't do or say or act, you know, um, So yes, super helpful. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I think it was a really great conversation to have and and one that we could continue. And it is um, very much like the pronouns, you know, this is going to be kind of an ever fluid and changing situation. In fact, my son, I was talking to him earlier and he said um, that there are, and this kind of goes along to what Denise said earlier, that there are now, I think he said, Neo pronouns where like, the creation of new pronouns are happening. And it may be for that reason that we just talked about earlier, which is we are so set in in grammar school. And so like, do we just need to create a new language around this? So we don't get stuck in what well, we were taught a certain way. So um, it's a fluid conversation that will probably change and, and need to be readdressed. But thank you so much for coming on Denise and sharing your insights with us. My
2: pleasure, always.
0: Thank you so much to Denise for coming back on the Minding Wellness podcast and sharing her insights with us. As always, if you've enjoyed this or any previous episode, I would so, so appreciate a honest review on iTunes as it helps others find me as well. You can also send me any notes you would like. Just go to speakpipe.com slash I would love to hear you and get any feedback you have for me. Looking forward to seeing you here again next time.